On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz and with me on the line is our featured speaker, uh, Woody Wilson. Welcome, Professor Wilson. Thank you, Felice. Glad to be here as always. Yeah. Well, um, we are going to be covering quite a few topics today as usual, and um, I really recommend that you take out a copy of the Constitution today. Um, If you're listening, uh, you can uh, pause the the tape if you're listening in the archives, and if you are not, if you're listening live, uh, hurry and get yours, because uh, we're going to be covering a lot of points today that deal with different uh, uh, parts of the Constitution. So, Woody, I'm going to let you um, go ahead and begin, and I will be looking for questions as they come in, and I will uh, jump in and ask them. Thank you, Felice, and hello, everyone. Uh, Good to be with you again. I think we will begin today by reviewing uh, the main topics that we talked about last week, and we'll talk about uh, some things that have happened in the interim in the last seven days since that last class. Uh, So have that Constitution ready, and um, we'll jump in there a few times to see where the language is that basically oversees the kinds of things that government is supposed to do. First of all, let's begin with the budget agreement that we talked about last time. Um, it was a conference committee between 10 members of the Senate, 10 minutes of the House. The Senate uh, conference was led by Patty Murphy, um, the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, and the uh, House was led by Paul Ryan, the chairman of the um, Budget Committee of the House. And remember, the House is uh, the majority Republican, and the Senate is majority Democrat. So they got down to business, and they compromised, and they came up with some things that um, you know, some some of them pleased the Democrats and some of them pleased the Republicans. It's basically a compromise bill, and as we said last time, it doesn't really do much of anything except creates a more positive atmosphere, I think, In Congress, um, it basically silenced the media. The media loves it when the politicians go after each other's throats. They love that. That's news. That's ratings. That's ability to charge more for advertisements. That's profits. Uh, So it has kind of quieted down. This is a bipartisan bill touted as the first one since 1986. Now, before we get into the um, meat of the bill and what's happened in the past week, let's take a look at the Constitution. If you would first turn to the first page of Article 1, 
right after the preamble. Section 1 says that all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. So there it is, the bicameral legislature. And it goes on to explain uh, the rules of the House of Representatives. And Section 3, perhaps on your next page, um, it does the same thing with the United States Senate. Now what we want to look at is Section 7. So if you'd flip over to, to Article 1, Section 7, one statement here, Clause 1, all bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may propose or concur with amendments as on other bills. In other words, whatever the House does, the Senate must agree before it can become law. That's why we have this bipartisan conference committee uh, dealing with the budget that we talked about last week. Uh, they are trying to get that concurrence. And they don't quite have it yet. It has passed the House. A large number of Republicans joined Democrats to pass it. I think it was 169 conservative Republicans uh, voted against it. Moderate Republicans voted for it. Now, going on, if you look at the next clause, just the first few words, every bill which shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate shall before it became, become a law be presented to the President of the United States. If he approves, he shall sign it. If not, he shall return it with his objections. That means veto. All right, so in other words, for a bill to become law, for this budget agreement that we're talking about to become law, it has to pass the House, which it has already done. It has to pass the Senate, which it has not done, and it's very much in question. Then it has to be signed by the President. Okay, no problem between 2008 and 2012, 10, uh, when Democrats had both houses of Congress and the White House, they passed just about anything they wanted to, including the Affordable Care Act. But when Republicans took the House in 2010, uh, that created a totally different situation. And they were at odds with each other for those two years. And um, this budget agreement does have the potential to settle things down. The problem is there are a lot of things in it that uh, Democrats don't like and but Democrats seem to be totally in favor. It was almost unanimous in the House. And it looks like uh, 55 of 55 in the Senate are going to vote for it. So apparently it is more pleasing to, to them than it is to conservatives and to Republicans. So Article 1, Section 7. The whole process begins in the House of Representatives. Now if you'll flip over to Article 2, Section 3. Now we're in the executive branch, Article 2, the executive branch, the president and all of his powers, duties, and responsibilities. Section 3 says, He shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures, meaning laws, as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Now, the president is the chief executive. It's his job to enforce and carry out the law. It's not his job to change the law. It's his job to carry out the law as written by Congress. As a matter of fact, if you will look at the very last sentence 
in that section, it says, he shall take care, meaning the president, he shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. All right, so if a president, a law is passed by both houses of Congress, the president signs it, it goes into effect, his job to carry it out, can he change it? No. He has violated the Constitution and the requirement of the Constitution that he faithfully carry out those laws to see that they are faithfully executed. We'll come back to that. All right, so basically what we're saying here is in Article 1, Section 7, and Article 2, Section 3, the Congress involves the House, the Senate, and the President in the legislative process. The president is out there enforcing the law, and he and the people that work in the executive branch frequently run into problems. They run into blockades. Uh, frequently, they don't have enough money to do what the law wants to do. So the president will recommend to Congress that they change the law, um, increase appropriations, whatever, so that they, the executive branch can competently carry out the law. That is how it is intended to work. Okay. So it's it's just fine that the White House have, has what's called the OMB, the Office of Man Management and Budget, which every year writes a budget. And that probably began back during the Franklin D. Roosevelt New Deal days. The Senate has also somewhere in history, and I'm not sure where, began to write its own budget. At first, in the first several Congresses, uh, the House of Representatives wrote the budget, raised the revenues, and then sent it to the Senate, and the Senate might have made a few changes, and they work it out in conference committee and, and finally pass it, and then it goes to the president. Now we have three budgets. Although the Senate didn't do that and the pre White House didn't do that for the last two or three years, and uh, finally the Senate's getting back in on the act. It's kind of, it's like we've said, it's dysfunctional government. And we do have a bipartisan bill that could pass. The problem is it doesn't really solve any problems. You know, and it's good to compromise. It's good to compromise. We wouldn't have had the Constitution without a lot of compromising. But in the legislative sense, when the nation is facing problems, you don't solve a problem by compromising. You don't solve the problem. The problem continues. For example, as we said last week, this bipartisan budget, Awaiting a vote in the Senate, maybe today, maybe today, check tonight and see if they voted today. It cuts $23 billion from the budget over, over 10 years, okay? So that's $2.3 billion a year. Well, last year, the deficit, that's how much more Congress spends than they take in, last year it was over $900 billion. $2.3 billion is nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, the, the deficit this year could be as much as a trillion dollars. And they're going to cut the deficit by $2.3 billion. So it's still going to be $900 billion to a trillion dollars, and all of that will go right into the national debt, which is all over, already over $17 trillion. So it does not really address the national debt, and it does not really cut the deficit. Uh, this bill has no entitlement cuts, and that's where the real problem is. The federal budget last year is over $3 trillion, and about 70% of that went to entitlement programs. That's Social Security, welfare, 
Medicare, and Medicaid. Um, add it all up. Those things have got to be cut. If you really want to address the deficit and the national debt, you've got to cut entitlements. And this bill that is now before the Senate does not do that. So no entitlement cuts, no entitlement reform, no tax reform. So all of that makes Democrats very, very happy. Now here are some things that make Republicans happy. No more military cuts. No new taxes. Federal bureaucrats, about more than 3 million of them, are going to pay more for their pensions now. They're going to open the Gulf of Mexico wide open for oil drilling. And that, in a couple of years, will translate possibly to lower gasoline prices. Here's another thing Republicans demanded. No IRS, Internal Revenue Service, those are tax collectors, checks, prisoners or dead people scammers, or to Singapore or, or Czechoslovakian scammers. All right, so that bureaucracy is being given, given its orders. I don't think Republicans like this one too well, but there will be cuts to corporate, what I call corporate welfare for research and development. Corporations will have to pay for their own research and development. They'll have to take it out of their own profits. The taxpayers, you and I, will no longer help them uh, with their research and development needs, and it is extremely important. So probably uh, Democrats and Republicans, uh, you'll find Democrats that agree and disagree, and same thing with Republicans on that one. So that's sort of a neutral item. But nonetheless, any way you cut it, uh, regardless of this bill, government spending will still be extravagant. Now one thing that was found out, you remember when Nancy Pelosi said, uh, we've got to pass this bill, referring to the Affordable Care Act, then we'll have time to sit down and read it. Well, it was, I think it was very similar with this one, but a couple of days ago, it was discovered by uh, staffers, uh, the staff of Jeff Sessions, uh, senator from Alabama, that this bill includes $6 billion in cuts to pensions for military retirees. Okay, that would be like cutting my Social Security, and $6 billion is uh, is quite a bit. So here we are picking on the military again. I'm sure Democrats would be very, very happy with that. They're the ones that were cutting the military over the last few years. So, But what we also find out, and Sessions points out, as a matter of fact, um, they he asked the Senate, in fact, he offered an amendment to the bill, and it was defeated largely by Democrats. He couldn't get a majority vote for the amendment. He wanted to eliminate an estimated $4.2 billion in annual spending by reducing or eliminating an IRS credit that illegal immigrants are claiming. So Sessions summarizes it up. His office says that the vote on Tuesday to block the amendment was basically a vote to cut military pensions instead of cutting welfare for illegal immigrants. And it's true, uh, that, and that is a heck of a thing. When you go out of your way to take care of people that came across that border illegally and have no right to be here, you're going to take care of them, but you're going to inflict pain on your veterans. That is a heck of a thing. Now, this could be a budget stopper. In the last uh, four or five days, I've heard 
six or seven Republicans say that they were probably going to vote for the bill, including John McCain. No surprise there. Um, this could this could stop that. Uh, Democrats have 55 votes. Uh, they need five more to get the 60% required uh, to bring it to a vote, in which case it would probably pass. But with this information that Senator Sessions has put, put out, maybe those some of those six or seven Republicans are going to back off. Nobody wants to vote against veterans. You, nobody in the Republican Party, at least. Uh, you just don't want to do that. So that could be a stopper. And again, the vote was scheduled for today on the bill itself, and if it passes, it goes to the president. But we'll see what happens uh, with this news from the office of Senator Sessions. So keep an eye on that. Now, another thing that came out yesterday, Senator Tom Coburn of Oklahoma every year puts out what he calls a waste book. Now, Congress does waste a tremendous amount of money. I used to get infuriated. I couldn't get anybody else to get excited about it, and I kind of, I finally kind of just simmered slowly and um, try not to think about it. They, um, it's called pork barreling. Uh, back in the slave days, uh, you go to a cotton field and you have several different slave crews out there working in different parts of the field, and a gong is sounded, and the best runner from each group would run as hard as he could to the mess wagon where the food is, and they have these big barrels of pork, salted pork. And whoever gets there first gets the best and the most, and, of course, he brings this back to his, his team. And we call that bringing home the bacon or bringing, bringing home, home the pork. So congressmen, Republicans and Democrats both, go to Congress, and one of the things they have to do, if they want to be reelected, and they do want to be reelected, is bring home the pork. That is, get put into the budget, they're calling them earmarks now, but I still call it pork. Put into the budget millions and tens of millions of dollars and hundreds of millions and billions of worth of dollars uh, overall for projects in their state. Funding a university, building a highway, uh, renovating buildings and uh, creating historical districts downtown. And if they can do that, then an awful lot of people, including city council persons and mayors and and people in the labor unions will all support you and vote for you and give you money and so on as long as you're doing that, as long as you can bring home the pork. Well, Coburn, Senator Coburn's book, the Waste Book, um, basically lists several of the things that um, are in this year's budget the one that's before the Senate tomorrow. For example, it, uh, the report speaks of how Congress authorized the purchase of, I think it was 21 C-27 transport planes manufactured in Italy. And I personally think that um, our all of our military equipment should be produced in the United States. But anyway, these are manufactured in Italy. And they... It's in there. They put it in there and are going to pass it, despite the fact that an Air, Air Force chief of staff, clear back in August of 2012, 
said that the Air Force didn't want or need the plane. They're going to pass it anyway. He testified that the current C-130 could do the better job. And there's also uh, C-124s. Uh, we have a tremendous transport fleet already. So for some reason, I'm guessing, here's just a wild guess, all right? I'm guessing that Italy uh, wanted some money, and they wanted, um, of course, this um, transport plane factory funded. And they probably put the word out there diplomatically that they're thinking about reducing the American military presence in Italy. Now, we have several bases there, mostly Air Force and Navy, and it's a very handy location for supervision, observation, and operations in the Mediterranean Sea and across the sea in northern Africa. It's a very, very important strategic location. So Italy maybe is threatening to reduce our military presence there, and uh, we say, okay, we'll buy those transport planes. You let us uh, continue to do what we're doing in the military uh, strategic sense. Something like that happened. So they're going to pass this bill, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, to buy transport planes the Air Force doesn't need. So that's in the book. We also find out that the State Department spent last year $630,000 now, believe it or not, the State Department, the Foreign Relations, spent $630,000 to attract followers to its Facebook and Twitter accounts. Amazing, amazing that they would use our money to build up their own Facebook and Twitter accounts. And why do they need them in the first place? We also find out NASA is spending and I don't understand this one at all. Maybe you can explain it to me. NASA is spending $3 million to study how Congress works. Hmm. NASA has been having trouble getting their funding requests addressed, so maybe they're studying how Congress works in order to do a better job of getting their requests through. $3 million. Hmm. Our money, folks. Also, the National Endowment for the Humanities, which gets about $350-$500 million a year. The National, we call it the NEH, spent nearly a million dollars over three years to explore the origins of popular romance in multimedia. This is extravagance, folks. This is money that does not need to be spent and should not be spent by the government, should not be required of you and me, the taxpayers. I couldn't care less about popular romance in multimedia. But here is the government using our money to pay for it. While the debt is runaway and the deficit is between $900 million and and a trillion dollars, they're spending money like this. We also find that while taxpayers so far have spent $319 million to build the healthcare.gov website, estimates project that more than twice that will be spent just on publicity and marketing. And we're also paying for a rap video that is out there now designed to attract young people to sign up for the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, I'd never seen that 
in all of my life, uh, following current events and teaching history and government, I had had never seen the government advertise out there in the media until a couple of years ago. I found out that the department, one of the departments, I think it was Health and Human Services, no, it wasn't, it was the Department of Labor, had created ads and put them on television, spending millions of dollars to do so, to, to try to persuade people to sign up for food stamps. You're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to discourage people from signing up for food stamps and, and welfare. You don't, the, job, our, the, our, the government's job is not to make de- people dependent on entitlement programs. The idea is to get them into the workforce so that they can feel good about themselves, so they can be self-reliant, so they can take care of their own families. Instead of living in the poverty that they're going to live in if they're reliant on entitlement programs. And so here we are. Now the government has, it's like they're becoming a corporation or something, and they're out there advertising to attract people to their programs, whether it's the food stamps or uh, the Affordable Care Act. So this is an amazing thing. So uh, pay attention to when you hear the name Senator Tom Coburn, uh, pay attention and get a load of what your government is doing. And I don't suppose I would be so upset about it um, if we didn't have a national debt, if we'd paid it off, and if Congress was taking in more money than it was spending and putting the rest of it to good cause, like maybe tax cuts, then maybe I wouldn't mind so much. But we're in, in, you know, in a futuristic sense, 10, 20 years from now, we are in desperate trouble financially, the government. And here they are just throwing money away. Republicans and Democrats both. As a matter of fact, when this... uh, when uh, Coburn's book gets out there, and remember it's called the Annual Waste Book, um, it's going to embarrass Republicans and Democrats alike. Okay, the Affordable Care Act fiasco goes on and on and on. Remember, um, a lot of promises were made. Uh, you can keep if you keep your uh, policy if you like it. We got that from the president, and of course that's not true. Millions have already lost their policies. And people are going to be paying higher premiums uh, for their insurance. They're going to be paying higher deductibles for uh, medical procedures, and they're going to ha- have a higher copay as well. People are going to be paying anywhere between five and fifteen thousand dollars a year more than they did before the Affordable Care Act was implemented. And we remember the president saying. The average family is going to have a cut in their premium of, of about of an average $2,500. And that and the fact that you know, the claim that we're not going to lose our, our policies were both just wrong and they were both lies because they knew as early as 2010 that these punishing things were going to occur. Hey, Woody, um, yes. what, is, what is considered an average family? Because for us, our rates were going to go up $1,000 a month. Well, I, I think if, if you're in basically in the middle class, 
um, if you're not extremely wealthy or extremely poor, then you would be considered an average American family. Yeah, that's where we are. So I don't you know, understand. Uh, I think neighborhood of a hundred of, of an income of let's say uh, forty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars a year, that would be uh, average somewhere in there. And you were supposedly, according to the president's promise, to have a twenty-five hundred dollar decrease in your premium. And they never mentioned uh, co-pays and deductibles at all. So, mm. so here it is uh, in your face and on your head. Right. Um, well, I know because they were having so many problems with the website that they did allow our our insurance provider to carry us again this year. Um, but I have no idea if the rates will go up in January. We, we're paid through December, so I don't know. Uh, so I guess we'll get that surprise when when it comes and if it comes, and, and hopefully it won't. But, right. Because uh, right, right. right now it's very, um, very reasonable. Um, Arella said that in Missouri there's a law that everyone that's on food stamps has to have random drug tests, but she said she knows several families that have been on it for years and have never been through the test. So that doesn't sound like that's a bad requirement, especially, um, you know, for someone who's been on it for a long time. But they, I guess they just need to enforce it. Well, um, President Obama, uh, like Nancy Pelosi, sometimes he says uh, things that he probably shouldn't have said. But uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. He said to a reporter, he said, oh, they were talking about drugs and, and drug law enforcement and all that. And he said, uh, yeah, I think maybe I'll just kind of ignore those drug laws. Um, wow. I don't, think, I don't think the federal drug laws are really being enforced. Mm. And that's probably would explain the situation in Missouri. Right. And we're going to talk sure. about that in a little bit when we start talking about impeachment issues. Okay. All right. Okay, going back to the Affordable Care Act, um, as you know, the polls are heavy against the Affordable Care Act. Um, the president's um, – I didn't read the article. I saw the headlines. I'll read it when I get a chance. Uh, apparently, the president's uh, popularity ratings or approval ratings are right down around where Nixon was during the Watergate investigation. So people are – turning solidly. I think we need somebody, uh, somebody to stand up and say, my fellow Americans, I feel your pain. Here's what we need to do. First of all, don't sign up for it and and just take it from there. Uh, Somebody needs to take all this anger and all this angst and all this fear that people are expressing in the polls and unite it into a plan of action to stop this thing. It's a it, it just it just has uh, has very scary, uh, very scary what it what it can could do to us economically as a country, and not only to us individually as families, but what it could do to our economic system. We're talking about one sixth. That's a huge chunk of the economic system. And apparently it is being mismanaged. But a new survey by Harvard University found that 56% of 
Americans uh, between the ages of 18 and 29. Now, these are the so-called millennials generation, the, the ones that are supposed to uh, buy health insurance to pay for everybody else, and they're not signing up. And we find that 50 56% of them, and they, they were the ones that really got Obama elected, uh, they disapprove uh, of Obama and the Affordable Care Act now. They've changed over. So 56%. And basically, the president's job approval is clear down to 38% now, uh, the lowest ever, right down there with Richard Nixon. And finally, on the ACA, we have breaking news. Senator Marcos, Marco Rubio signed his family up for the Affordable Care Act. Other congressmen have done the same, um, including Rand Paul, uh, for example, and Paul Ryan uh, have signed up for it because it's the law. But nonetheless, Senator Rubio was one of the leading voices against the Affordable Care Act. He voted to defund it. He voted to repeal it. He voted to delay it. And now he signed his family up. So conservatives, true conservatives, are now criticizing Senator Rubio, including former Florida governor uh, Charlie Crist, who criticized him yesterday uh, for caving in and bowing down to President Obama and the Affordable Care Act. They're not helping to make it go away by supporting it, uh, basically is the idea. Now, I don't know very much more about it other than what I've just said here, but um, I think this has the potential to hurt Senator Rubio if, in fact, he has some intention to run for the Republican nomination for the presidency. His opponents will certainly bring that up. So keep an eye on that one. It's in the news. On the Iran Treaty, nothing new. The Senate still has not acted. And, of course, as you know, checks and balances, the Senate has to approve any treaty before it can become law. War on Christmas has gone kind of quiet. Some Many schools, as we said last time, have caved in and are playing along with the liberal agenda. But keep in mind that the, uh, a serious majority, I, I don't, I, there are no figures that I've ever seen, but I would estimate 65, 66% of all Educators, I mean, in terms of public school, are Democrats and they are liberal. And I'm sure that there are a lot of principals that are just tickled to death with the ACLU and the attack on Christmas and that kind of thing. So some schools have caved in, uh, but not too much. And that's going quite a, kind of quiet. On the teacher protest thing, I, uh, 60 cities that we talked about last week, we found out, um, I found out that it was sponsored by the um, American Federation of Teachers, uh, the biggest of the two unions, the NEA, or National Education Association, is the other one. And the vast majority of teachers are in those unions. So um, the AFT organized a nationwide protest in 60 cities, and here is their mission statement. Educators, parents, and youth hold mass demonstrations nationwide to demand quality public schools. Now, that could mean a lot of things, thousands of things, go into making a public school what it is in terms of quality. So it was a one-day thing, and then it just kind of disappeared, and we haven't heard anything since. I guess they were making a statement. A lot of people are very unhappy with the public schools. Uh, many of you are, I know. And um, 
You know, what they don't realize is teachers are as well. I became so unhappy with the direction that schools were taking that I retired before I had ever thought that I would. I thought I would teach until I was 75 years old or so. I retired when I was 64. It was not a system that I wanted to be a part of anymore. So you have that. We did get a statement. Remember the NSA scandal where they were uh, had access to millions of telephones and the media is just going crazy and getting their ratings up and more advertising and money and profits? Well, we find out from uh, the National Security Advisor, General Keith Alexander, that it probably was an exaggeration. And he said, speaking in regards to the communications of any United States citizen, that they have to have probable cause. Now, yes, they have access. That doesn't mean that they are using that access. They have to get probable cause finding from a judge with a specific court order. And Alexander said that we have today less than 60 authorizations on specific Americans to do that. 60 Americans have been targeted and the uh, court warrant has been issued. And these 60 Americans definitely remember the Boston Marathon bombing. Those were Americans. Um, of I don't remember which of the Middle Eastern countries they came from, but um, there are people in the United States that are terrorists, and they have cell phones, and some of them are Americans and some of them are not. So there are 60 people that the NSA has identified as suspect, and they are being investigated. Uh, so that whole thing about the NSA tapping our telephones, my first thought was, and I hope yours was too, why would they want to tap my phone? And I don't care if they do anyway. Um, you hear me talking to my wife at lunch or <laughs> something like that. Maybe they hear me talking to you. Um, but, but the thing is, and this, this is a great, great debate, has been a great debate forever. It's a question of, of what's more important. I used to do with my, this with my students. We had a regular exercise where we studied civil liberties and we uh, studied national security. Which is more important? Is the security of the American people, their lives, more important than their freedoms? Can, will you give up freedoms to have stronger national security? Or does the government need to find some other way to deal with security threats to the United States, especially these days from terrorists, terrorists, without taking away our civil liberties. It's a very delicate balance, and it's a very challenging debate. It might be one that you want to have um, in your families or in your homeschool groups. You could divide up into two teams, and one team take NSA and argue it, and the other take uh, civil liberties and argue it. You'll get all the all the uh, debate items out there. You might think about it. Okay, another big piece of breaking news is I have been asked here locally to join the local Tea Party. And I said yes. There was a Tea Party here uh, that operated fairly prominently in 2008 I went to their rallies and uh, listened in uh, to the speakers, uh, more or less an observer. 
I never actually joined the Tea Party, and it kind of went quiet. It was out there, and people were talking, but they weren't doing anything. Well, I guess the Affordable Care Act and some other things along with it have uh, have stoked up interest again, and a bunch of people got together to Blennerhazard Hotel and and uh, reformed the Tea Party and divided into these six committees. I guess the leader um, basically said, all right, uh, let's get the issues out there. Uh, so they voted on several issues, and they came up with six that a number of people were interested in. One is education. Another one is the Constitution. A third one is the Second Amendment. I think they could combine those two. A uh, fourth one is freedoms, kind of general. A fifth one is recruitment, getting more people to join up and support. And the sixth one was the Black Robe reg- Regiment, which I'll talk about in a minute. Well, I said yes, and I, um, in fact, a friend of mine uh, that was involved uh, emailed me and asked me if I would consider getting on the Education Committee. And apparently I'm the only one that is a, an educator, and I have a great deal of background and insight and contacts uh, that will be of, of use to the committee. And um, uh, the, this education committee already, uh, also a friend of mine happens to be the chairman of this committee. Uh, uh, Tom says that um, as far as he's concerned, our chief focus is going to be Common Core Standards and dealing with that in whatever way the committee decides to deal with it. So, breaking news, I am in the Tea Party, finally. I would urge you to be involved in lo- in politics, local politics, and national politics, state politics. I would urge you to be involved. I know that Felice is and right. um, has done things in the interest of her political values, and I urge all of you to do that. Pick a group and join in. Uh, work with them. Uh, contribute, be at the rallies, uh, send money if you haven't, and, and those kinds of things, and make make a difference. That's, that's what it takes. So, okay. go ahead, Felice. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, ha- we have um, some questions, but they um, are in regards to Obama. So, are you going to go over, um, one of them is about the law of the sea treaty, and I think you mentioned um, the um, budget said something about um, being able to drill for oil. So let me just go ahead and ask you this question. Um, okay. And it says the first one is, uh, what does what what do you think about the news reports that Obama is looking to turn some of the U.S. waters over to the U.N.? Is this even constitutionally possible? No, he can't do that. Okay. That and that that, would, that uh, you couldn't ahead. do that by executive order. That would take an act of Congress. I don't think you'll find anything in the Constitution that references that. But no, uh, I haven't heard this at all. Uh, this has not been in the major media sources. So, where does that information come from? Uh, I think it came from For- it's from Forbes. So I'll, I will send you some of that. Um, Please the do. second part, yeah, a federal judge uh, rejected Obama's 
administration sweeping claims of executive privilege and ordered the disclosure of a foreign aid directive signed by President Obama in 2010 but never publicly released. Um, she wanted to know about the application and limitations to executive privilege. Uh, let's get into that when we get into the impeachment issues. Um, we're talking okay. about some of the same things here. And, okay. I, and then I don't know I will, if but yet I I'll think send we'll you get that the, link for the seeds one. I'll send you the link yes, for um that and it's from it's a Forbes but it's a really long one. Okay. So I will send that to you. Okay. Good. So go ahead, Woody. Uh do you want to do your commercial break now? Yes, let's go ahead and do that. Thank you. Hold on. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson, this class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Okay. Hi. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Hi. <laughs> no problem. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am here with Professor Wilson, who is excited about continuing the rest of this session. So, uh, Woody, uh, go ahead. I don't see any other questions that aren't um, in regard to the topic on Obama. So I'll just wait until you approach that, and then I will ask you those questions. Yeah, I tell you, we're going we're going to run out of time. And um, okay. when it comes to the um, impeachment issue, we have a lot to talk about. And I promise you, and promise everybody out there, that in the next session. We will begin with that, and that will be after okay. Christmas, right? That'll be in January. Right. Yep, so we all have year. plenty of. We will all have plenty of time uh, to research this and get more information on the kinds of things that two questions just addressed. And I have on my list. My gosh, I don't really have time to count them. I have on my list quite a few things that. Uh, are okay. very closely related to what I heard in the questions. Okay. So, so go ahead. Uh, one more thing that I wanted to talk about is this um, that that I mentioned and that you might want to look into also. That was it's very intriguing. Was the Black Robe Regiment? Now this was a name that was given. It wasn't really a military unit, but but it was a group of preachers, uh, several of them that uh, who during the American Revolution spoke in support of the revolution from their pulpits, uh, organizing, arranging, supporting, uh, getting people together to get up food and bandages for the soldiers and urging young men to uh, join George Washington out in the field and those kinds of things. And they had a great deal of effect 
on the success of the American Revolution. Well, this guy, Glenn Beck, uh, have you heard of him? He used to be on Fox News. He's independent now. Uh, I think he has a TV show someplace, and he also has a radio show. But he announced over the weekend the recreation of that revolutionary force, the Black Robe Regiment. And at a rally on Saturday, Beck claimed that our churches have fallen asleep and that the thousands of clergy in the regiment who subscribe to his particular views on the role of religion in America will, here's a quote, start the heart of this nation again and put it where it belongs, our heart with God. So there are a lot of initiatives going on out there. The Tea Party is one, and this uh, Glenn Beck thing, and apparently the Tea Party here um, in my area um, is going to adopt it or uh, try to develop it or something like that. There are a whole lot of initiatives going on right now. And, you know, I've been saying for 20 years there's a reform movement coming, there's a reform movement coming. We had one in the 1960s. We had one before the Civil War. We had one at the beginning of the 20th century, the Progressive Era. And uh, this would be our fourth reform era. But there's just a whole bunch of really dedicated people uh, that are very, very upset. Uh, They want to take America back. They want America to be great again. Um, They're just really being fired up by all the kinds of incompetencies that we're seeing in the national government and the use of force and power to make Americans do things. And so one arm of that, of course, is going to be an attempt to get um, Protestant ministers, Catholic priests, uh, Jewish rabbis to to uh, join the call and save America. Now, of course, a lot of those folks that I just mentioned are very liberal and um, will not participate, but there are a lot of them that certainly will. So pay attention to that issue, the black robe thing. Now, a couple of things I want to get into while we still have time, and this will kind of um, get us started on the question of impeachment. Uh, First of all, if you would turn to the preamble of your Constitution. Now, I would like for you, we're going to read this together. Um, and moms and dads, it might be a good idea to have, I remember once I had my youngest daughter memorize it, and uh, I told her, if you memorize the preamble, and um, every time I ask you to say it, you say it perfectly after 30 days, I'll give you $5. And she did. I remember her standing there with just stock still with her hands down her side and feet together, just standing there like a statue, quoting that uh, thing off from memory. And uh, a couple of years ago, I said, I said, Jolie, do you remember the uh, preamble? And she said, she quoted it again. She still had it. So you might want to do that. Anyway, as we read this, I want you to look for the word government. Okay? We've seen the government doing a lot of things, exercising power in a lot of ways. Let's read this and see if we can find government in here. It says, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Posterity means our children and grandchildren. Do ordain and establish this Constitution 
for the United States of America. So you see the word government? No. Did the government establish this Constitution? No. The Constitution established the government. And who established the Constitution? First three words, we the people. So we've kind of let that get away from us, and we need to take it back. And that's why people like you and me have to get involved. It's just too important. You don't want to live in a nation that's that's going to be like where we're going right now. It's got to be taken back. I'd also like to remind you of um, you know probably the most popular president. I'm not sure he was the greatest president. Uh, it's difficult to say. I, I don't think there was a greatest president. I, I think there were several great presidents. Uh, the times were different for each one, and um, and that is a an, a qualifier. So Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War at Gettysburg, made a famous speech called the Gettysburg Address. And he says, and this is an excerpt, This nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that the that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Now notice it didn't doesn't say he didn't say of the government, by the government, and for the government, which we are currently seeing in Washington D.C. They seem to think it's all about them. They seem to think that they are entitled by their positions to exercise power to further their interests, their values, their philosophies, whether the people like it or not. And that's what we need to take back. We need to take back we the people. We need to take back of, by, and for the people. And we need to take back America, basically. So get involved and be a part of that. Now, if you have a pencil handy, and I'm sure you do because you are students, and the students have pencil and paper all the time, please write down the, these four constitutional references, all of which have something to do with impeachment. And um, study them, talk about them, make sure you understand them, and we won't waste time at, in the next session uh, going into the Constitution and examining these. All right, ready? Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 and 6. So Article 2, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 5 and 6. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 9. And Article 2, Section 4. The last line. We already read it today, but I'd like for you to look at that again. And I'd like to close today by <coughs> quoting uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor David Dewhurst. He says the following, I think this president, Barack Obama, has disregarded federal law. He's tried to do things which are not author authorized under federal law, such as with immigration, such as not following our federal drug laws. He's created winners and losers out of Obamacare where he has no authority, such as allowing for unions and big businesses to postpone their mandates for a year. And from Senator Ted Cruz, over and over again, this president has said, 
I don't care what the law is. I'm going to refuse to enforce it. I'm not going. And so we saw that with respect to immigration, when he said, I'm not going to enforce the immigration laws against certain individuals. He did say that. Cruz goes on, we saw that, saw that with the drug laws when he said, I'm just going to pretend these laws don't exist and not enforce them. So you see where this president wants America to go? Do you see? All right. This is very important. And I think we'll close with that today. Um, keep your eyes on current events and study those four constitutional sections. And uh, when we come together next time, we will talk about these things in much greater detail. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Woody. And um, I will be keeping track of the questions that we have from the session and asking you those as well. I'll probably send them to you in an email. So just if you're listening, uh, your questions are important. And as we can get to them each session, we will. Thank you so much, Woody. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.